This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gothamites, welcome to Batman Books, The Dark Knight and Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. I'm Lane, Paxton Holly. Hi, Pax. Hey, Lane. Holy extended holiday. How are you? <laughs> I am hanging in there. I uh, had a bit of a chest cold a couple weeks ago, and of course, my panic disorder was like, is this COVID? Am I yep. dying? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but it was not COVID, but... Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we had some mucinex around the house, so as soon as I got that chest congestion, I uh, started working on that, and it cleared up in about a week, so ah, fun times. Yeah, so much fun. Well, I'm glad you're doing better. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, how have you been? I've been good. A lot of changes have been going on here. Just my wife's got a new teaching job, and you know, kids are going back to school. There's a whole bunch of changes going on in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we started last week, so um, both... The kids and the, my wife are at the same school. She's teaching okay. at their school. So the last couple of weeks have just been getting back into that groove after a long time off. Yeah. Today we are finishing off this book. It has been, what, about two years coming? <laughs> it, has been, it has been a minute. And oh uh, like I, you can't see me. I've got sad face because I'm sad to see it end. But it's been a lot of fun. But we are covering chapter 36? Six, yes. Okay. I thought 35 sounded familiar. <laughs> I took notes on that. But yeah, from 36 on through to the epilogue. Chapter 36, Scene 1 Bruce pushed the Derringer back in her bag and continued to dance. Selina was surprised she had even shown it to him. She had meant to keep her gun a secret from everyone, but then she had told him about it, straight out. There was something about Mr. Bruce Wayne, something mysterious but something that made her want to trust him at the same time. She looked up the surprise on his face and decided to talk before he did. Chapter 36 starts with Selena's point of view. And I'm glad I did read chapter 35, actually, because I would have forgotten everything. They're at that masquerade party. Yeah. And yeah, Selena, <laughs> Selena was dancing with Bruce Wayne. Neither one of them were in costume, but she pulls out a Derringer. Yes. And that's how the chapter ended. So chapter 36 starts with Selena's point of view. And she says, which I liked, Now don't give me a killing Max won't solve anything speech because it will. <laughs> yes. That's a big mood right there. It and is. Bruce replies like, hey, look, I'm sure you have plenty of reasons to hate your boss. But Jesus, Selena, you're not the judge or jury. I mean, just who do you think you are? But I notice he didn't say that she's not the executioner. 
So is he giving her an out there? That's a good question. Because because when I read it, I, was like, I didn't even write that down, and I don't have my book with me. I didn't. I thought he said executioner, but that could be me throwing that in there because that's usually how it's said: is judge, jury, and executioner. Right, and I I read it a couple times just to make sure I didn't misread it. But yeah, he didn't. Yeah, that is interesting. It does give her a little bit of an out. And uh, and the first time I read that, I was it popped into my head. I was like, well, it's like pot calling the kettle black bruce but i guess he's <laughs> technically not judge and jury he's just apprehending people that have done stuff but i mean he's like he's a little pot calling the kettle black there a little bit yeah <laughs> surprisingly the ice princess's death comes up in selena's inner monologue saying that like before the ice princess had died she probably would have been able to give him an answer to that question but now she just says i don't know anymore bruce yeah i was kind of surprised that the ice princess's death affected her in any way because she was such a kind of throwaway character of the ice princess i like your read on that because i didn't know how to take it either and i took it as she wasn't saying necessarily the ice princess's fate specifically but using that as a marker in time because right around that time is when penguin double crossed her and tried to kill her Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was pretty traumatic for her. So like I was reading it as like that. She's just marking that point in time before that, you know, she was all all with Penguin and having fun. And then after that, she realized that she can't trust anyone. So I, I like both reads. I like your read, too, because I, I think that also uh, works. Right. I, I think they do both. Like either way, they can go. Sometimes the novelization leaves me a little bit wanting for details, but other times I like that there's enough breathing room where different interpretations can be made. Yeah, agreed. They dance for a little while, and Selena looks up and sees a mistletoe. And she leans forward and gives Bruce a kiss. And she remembers the words that Batman had said to her back on their with their confrontation on the rooftop. And she says, and this is what Batman had said, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. And Bruce recognizes his words that he had said to Catwoman. And so he responds with her words, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. And so they have this moment of like, wait, are you? No, are you? (laughs) So now they know each other's secret identities. Yeah, this is a great moment in the book, but also in the movie and how they play it in the movie is fantastic. But uh, here in the book is great um, because they make they have that realization and they do something they don't do in the movie is they investigate. They go one step further in the movie. That phrase that they both finish is enough for them to realize who each other is. But in the book, they go a little further and he reaches over and pulls up her sleeve and sees the napalm burn or the bat palm burn. I don't know what he calls it, the bat palm, Uh, bat napalm. (laughs) I don't know what he calls it. And then uh, she reaches into his shirt and feels the scabbing from where she scratched him. And then that, that gets it for him, that confirms it for him, that said they are each other. They are Batman and Catwoman. And I, I just think that's a great moment. I love that moment. Yeah, it's kind of intimate, like, hey, we hurt each other, but we're also close enough where we can acknowledge that and feel a little bit sorry for that. I don't know, there's just something intimate about them just kind of touching each other's wounds, and there's a mention that Bruce almost sounds a little remorseful when he says, oh, there's the burn I gave you. Yeah, yeah, and she says the scratch I gave you. Yeah, it's a it's a great moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of liked where Selena's like, well, does this mean we have to keep fighting? You know, what does this mean? (laughs) And Bruce says, I don't really know, but until we figure that out, let's keep dancing. And Selena is okay with that. Me too. I am okay with that as well. Chapter 36, scene two. 
Now this was really more like it. The penguin cackled as the dust and dancers settled around them. Nothing like a little explosion to shake them up. Well, tonight, the penguin would make them pay. Bits of the floor sailed back to earth. People screamed. Pieces of ceiling rained down around them. People fainted. Parts of other things fell down, too. Some of these had once been costumes. Or what had been inside the costumes. People ran. The penguin made a small bow from within his rubber duck. You didn't invite me, so I crashed. The four penguins he'd brought along squawked approval. So the second scene is from Penguin's point of view. It's really abrupt. At first, I was a little confused what was happening because it just talks about him cackling while dust and dancers settled. Nothing like a little explosion to, to shake things up. Mm-hmm. And what had happened is it went from Bruce and Selena dancing and it skips over the explosion and just reacts to, shows us uh, Oswald's reaction to the explosion. And the explosion actually happened at this masquerade ball. Yep. Right in the middle of it. And it sounds like it even blew some people to pieces. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't notice that last time, but I read it this time and I was like, whoa, that was a lot darker than I remember because I never thought, because it says uh, parts and other things fell down from the ceiling. Some of these had been costumes or what had been inside the costumes. And I was like, whoa, really yeah. dark. I did not think people, <laughs> I guess, of course they did. People got exploded in that explosion. It was a pretty big explosion. I never really thought about it, but the book points mm-hmm. it out. People died. Yeah. <laughs> it went dark from, it went from festive to dark really quick. Yeah. I was confused at first as it said he comes in from within his rubber duck. And I was like, is, it, was that a costume? At first I thought it was his vehicle. <laughs> but then he's, it says he pushes a, uh, the mayor out of the way. And I kind of envisioned him doing that with his arms. But then it talked about the vehicle. So I, I finally put together that he is in that little duck vehicle, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Yeah. And he probably pushes the mayor away by just c- continuing to drive forward and just kind of bumping him out of the way. Yeah. But basically, he says, you didn't invite me, so I crashed. Yes, he did. (laughs) Yeah, most definitely. With style, too. I I will give him props for a a big entrance. Yeah. So, yeah, Penguin rolls in, and he addresses the partygoers, and he says, Right now, my troops are fanning out across town for your children. Yes, for your firstborn sons. The ones you left defenseless at home so you could dress up like jerks, get juiced, and dance badly. <laughs> get juiced. I like that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I've only ever heard that in, in terms of like steroid use. Yeah, I guess that's true. He uses it here as meaning drunk, but right. I think that's an old-fashioned way to say it. I don't, I don't think it's in use anymore, but I, I think I have heard that but from like my parents or my grandparents or something. I haven't heard for a while people getting sauced. That used to be what I heard a lot. That's true. I haven't heard that one in a while either. Yeah. Penguin continues that he's personally come for Gotham's favorite son, which I, I'm not so sure about that title. <laughs> for Chip. But he's, yeah, he's talking about Chip Shrek. <laughs> Yeah, I got nothing throughout the rest of the book to indicate that he might be Gotham's favorite son. Yeah, and in, in maybe in Max's mind, but that's about right. it. <laughs> Penguin wonders why he ever left off of Murder and Mayhem, because this was all so much better than being there. <laughs> yep, back where he belongs. Mm-hmm. Doing shenanigans. 
Because I remember it, it was like we were most of the way through the book before Batman got any evidence that Penguin is actually doing anything nefarious. Yeah, that's true. We were talking about like if he had just gone after the Red Triangle Circus Gang, who were most definitely behind all the kidnappings and things like that. If he had just followed that thread, he could have gone after people who had solid evidence of being bad people, and then he could have connected them with Oswald when he uh, unraveled that thread. But, you know, hindsight. Yeah, I know. Hindsight is 20-20. <laughs> Armchair quarterbacking. <laughs> yeah, you know. I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Alfred was thinking it the whole time, Master Bruce, if you had just done it my way. Just listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just a butler. <laughs> Chapter 36 Scene 3. This was terrible. The two of them had gone down together when the floor exploded. Bruce had been underneath, to cushion the worst of her fall. By the time they had both regained their feet, the penguin had managed to take Chip Shrek captive. Selina turned away from the penguin and his goon. Bruce, she said, we have to do something. But Bruce was gone. So the third scene of Chapter 36. The floor exploded. Selina and Bruce, and it's from Selina's point of view, Selina and Bruce had fallen together. And it's not really clear where they fall, I'm guessing, to the floor below. Yeah, I guess I took it they fell to just that floor. I, I don't know how big... You're right, I mean, it's a good point that uh, you don't know how big the hole they made, that Penguin made when he came from below and exploded up. But uh, I just took it as they fell to the floor where they were because they were a distance from the penguin and ceiling stuff fell on top of them okay i mentioned bruce had cushioned her fall but yeah they could have just been like blown backward and he yeah yeah that's how i took it at least that makes more sense i was trying to envision like were they up on the second floor where were they uh, right. you know i was just imagining <laughs> the floor caving in and people fall you know i, I took it a little bigger than yeah it was meant and, to. I, and i see where you're coming from there yeah so by the time they regain their feet Penguin has managed to take Chip Shrek captive. And Selena says, Bruce, we have to do something. And she turns around, but Bruce has done the old uh, slip out from under Gordon's nose trick. Yep, he does it to <laughs> Selena. <laughs> so he goes off to do Batman y things. Which I'm guessing he's going to go home and change into his Batman suit and then come back. That's a good question. I mean, maybe he's got one stashed somewhere. He had to assume something may happen. So maybe mm -hmm. he stashed a suitcase somewhere to change into? Yeah, that would have been smart. Or have Alfred idling in the Rolls-Royce <laughs> around the corner. There you go. That's probably actually what happened is Alfred is out there <laughs> idling in the Rolls <laughs> with the hidden suit. Keep it toasty for me, Alfred. I may come back out and switch. Have the darkly tinted windows so no one can see. Yep. Don't peek, Alfred. I'm naked. <laughs> yeah. I don't have my bat pants on. This leather upholstery is sticky. <laughs> That is the end of chapter 36. Chapter 37, scene 1. Max stared in horror as his son was taken hostage. You're coming with me, you great white dope, the penguin declared with perverse glee, to die way down in the sewer. Max almost stopped breathing. For the first time that he could remember, he was truly frightened. Not Chip, he called out, surprised how strong his voice still sounded. Please, penguin. If you have one iota of human feeling, you'll take me instead. The penguin turned to Max and sneered. Chapter 37, we start off from Max's point of view, and he is watching in horror as Penguin takes off with Chip. 
And Penguin, <laughs> I, I love some of these lines of penguins throughout this book. Yeah. He says to Chip, you're coming with me, you great white dope, to die <laughs> way down the sewer. And apparently for the first time that Max can remember, he's truly frightened. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting, uh, like how he protects Chip. I mean, because he, he did it in the beginning, too, when he... Uh, protected chip from getting hurt by the monkey and the the grinder the organ grinder guy um, mm -hmm. but here he does it again he does everything he can to negotiate that chip doesn't get hurt or anything like that so i mean if nothing else i mean muhammad shrek is uh, out for himself unless it comes to chip and he really does i mean <laughs> he really does protect his son i mean yeah which is probably why his son's kind of an entitled jerk <laughs> probably because <laughs> that can also maybe he sees Chip, at least his image or his legacy or something. So it's still a little bit right. self-serving. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it's his legacy that he's protecting. I mean, yeah. Chip's his son, but really it's his legacy. And that's what he's trying to protect. Yeah. So Max calls out to Penguin, not Chip, please, Penguin. If you have one iota of human feeling, you'll take me instead. And Penguin has one of his wonderfully short replies. He says, I don't. So no. <laughs> yeah, I love that it was short and to the point. Normally, he's a little bit more verbose, but I like that he's he's to the point now where he's just like, no. I don't have human decency, so no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Talk to the flipper. Um, <laughs> so Max throws himself toward the huge duck, and he says, I'm the one you want. Penguin, please ask yourself, isn't it Max Shrek who manipulated and betrayed you? Isn't it Max, not Chip, whom you want to see immersed to his eyeballs in raw sewage? Yummy. I love that uh, Max is using some of his skill with speech to try to get his way. Like when begging won't quite help. He's like, okay, let me turn this into a way that Penguin will see. Maybe I am making sense here. He is definitely using his negotiation skills uh, to get Chip out of danger. Mm -hmm. Then the strangest line, I can't quite figure out wh where this fits in, but... You know, Penguin is swayed by Max's words, plus the hysterics were getting on his nerves. And he says, let Canute Rockney live for now. And I was like, okay, Canute Rocky, who's, who's that? So I looked it up and, you know, I'm not a sports ball follower. <laughs> otherwise I might have known this, but he was a Norwegian American football player and coach at Notre Dame. He was born March 4th, 1888 in Oslo, or I'm sorry, in, in Voss, Norway, and died March 31st, 1931, in Kansas at the age of 43 from a plane crash. And he's regarded as one of the greatest coaches in college football history. And I can't remember the exact stats, but it was like over 100 or 150 wins to single-digit losses. So yeah, he was a very, very successful coach. Yes, he was. I learned, learned a little something. I learned who Canute Rockney was, but I still don't get the reference. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Other than a big, goofy white dude. I, mean, I don't know. That's a like, that's a good point that I don't. I, oh, maybe. Uh, didn't it mention earlier on that Chip was a football star in college? Oh, is he? I think. Yeah. Back when in one of the earlier scenes, when he we first see Chip in the office and Selena and Selena, I think, thinks something about him that he's, you know, back from college, the football star from college or something. So 
I think that may be what it's referring to is that he's this football star in college, so he just calls him New Rockney. I, I don't know. Okay. That, that's the best I can get out of that. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I had to, totally forgotten that where we, we've we been uh, working on this book a little at a time for so long now, I'd completely <laughs> forgotten that fact. As I was looking up who this coach was, I was sitting here thinking, like, wow, Penguin is more well-read in bits of trivia than I am living in a sewer and I'm a literal librarian surrounded by books and databases and stuff. And, I, and <laughs> Penguin's got me beat. So I got to hand it to him. <laughs> yeah, he's aware. I mean, for someone that's lived the majority of a life in the sewer, he has learned a lot. Yeah. Chip is released and Max is held at gunpoint instead. And at this point, Max realizes that the penguins around him, not penguin, but the, the birds, the penguins, around him are armed they wear funny looking helmets Mm -hmm. and later on we learn that they're holding little bazookas and some smoke bombs go off obscuring the scene max reflects that he's not normally the self-sacrificing type and it kind of surprises himself that he has a shred of human decency though it's in the form of saving his son though it's going to be the death of him but as you and i discuss it's still probably at least partially self-serving with the um saving the legacy saving the extension of himself yeah definitely self-serving definitely the legacy and a little bit of his son and he did it once before like i mentioned earlier in the movie so it, it it's interesting that he calls himself out to be like i'm not normally i don't normally do this uh but for chip he has done it before so mm-hmm. i thought it was I, when i was reading it i thought well that's an odd thing to call out since you did it earlier right on that thread when he said he was for the first time he could remember truly frightened i thought back to the first time he fell into the sewer grate and was surrounded by penguins and the penguin and he really had to talk himself out of it i guess that unsettled him but i guess didn't truly frighten him because he did talk his way out of that situation pretty quickly and get into into oswald's good graces so yeah chapter 37 scene two And now the wonderful penguin's plan took shape. He could see it now, all the talented members of the Red Triangle Circus Gang tumbling their ways into the homes of Gotham's firstborn sons. Here's one pretty scene in a precious bathroom. The child's own. The walls are covered with sheep, daisies, and the letters of the alphabet. So cute it can make you sick. A toddler, a firstborn toddler, stands there making faces at himself in a mirror. He's giggling. It's the funniest thing that he's ever seen. But uh uh-oh, what's this but his nanny's voice, coming sternly through the bathroom door. Billy, she says, if you're not brushing, I'll tell your mama. He's in trouble now. The toddler looks back in the mirror and sees that he's not alone. Chapter 37, scene 2 is from Penguin's point of view. And it's kind of Penguin's point of view, but it's also kind of... I went back and forth between not knowing if it was all, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like omniscient, the third person omniscient. But he's dreaming up these scenarios of his Red Triangle Circus gang goons going around to steal Gotham's firstborn sons. And one is a toddler making faces at himself in his bathroom mirror and giggling and his nanny saying like, oh, if you don't brush your teeth, I'm going to tell your mama. So this child is from a family who's well off enough to have a nanny and for him as a toddler to have his own bathroom. Uh, When the toddler looks back in the mirror, there is the knife lady 
And before he can scream, she grabs him. Another one is a boy sitting at a windowsill, staring out at the night. A happy clown appears at the window, which that would terrify the was... pants off me. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but the boy claps his hands in delight, thinking that it is the tooth fairy here to reward him for losing one of his front teeth. Uh, the clown replies that the, the reward is to go on a ride, the last one of his life. In another scene, an infant boy sleeps soundly in his expensive custom-built crib made from the wood of some endangered tree. One of the acrobats vaults through the window, grabs the baby, and vaults back out. Uh, alarms go off, but it's too late. And the ending sentences in this chapter are, are, are in the scene. And so it goes, house after house after house, firstborn son after firstborn son, and soon the big kaboom. All of Gotham's firstborn brats, sunken and strangled. It was enough to make the penguin breathless. So a little infanticide. Yeah, yeah. It's a bold plan. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, that's what uh, all the most powerful and elite of Gotham are at Max's party. So mm -hmm. all the kids are at home, like almost defenseless. You don't see, like you see a kind of a quick montage in the movie of them taking a few of the kids. But the book gets a little bit more into it, like the toothbrushing one. It gets kind of into it, and it's kind of creepy to think about that. That one is like, how about a free ride? And the the acrobat stealing the kid out of the crib and everything. It was just like, I'm kind of glad they didn't. I wonder if they had that and decided that's way too creepy. We don't need to put that in the uh, in the movie. So uh, it's kind of creepy to see that. And I and I thought it was interesting. It said it's you know by, the alarms went off, but it was too late. I was like, yeah, it may have been too late. They're probably out of there. But it's not like they were in a hurry. Because if you remember from the movie, they're in this kind of like circus train, like in the mm -hmm. middle of the road. And they're not moving very fast. So uh, if anyone like GCPD and Gordon and the GCPT were doing their jobs, mm -hmm. <laughs> like it wouldn't be hard to find these guys. Yeah. The, the, the GCPD doesn't have a good track record in this book. No, <laughs> they're the worst. <laughs> I don't remember any of these things from the movie, so I, I can't wait to do the commentary episode with you because I have not seen the movie in years and years and years. Yeah. And I'm just remembering little bits and pieces here and there. Chapter 38, Scene 1 Max had never known this kind of misery before. The penguin had put him in a cage, but that wasn't bad enough. The cage was hung immediately above a pond full of brown and acrid goo. Max half expected to choke to death on the fumes. And it was cold down here, too. That huge air conditioner was turned so high that there was ice everywhere, and somehow the sparks from the generator next to it did nothing to warm the place back up. Max didn't want to know what was in this goo to keep it from freezing, but he had the feeling that the liquid could ruin his pants, perhaps even eat them away. The penguin's men had given him a ratty blanket to throw over his shoulders, but all it did was keep his shivers to a minimum. He'd die of exposure if the penguin didn't kill him first. Moving on to chapter 38, the first scene is from Max's point of view. Max isn't having a very good day. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a cage that's hanging over a pond full of brown and acrid goo. The fumes are getting to him, and in addition, the AC was cranked up so high there was ice on everything. Which that sounds fine to me. Yeah, at least it's not like stiflingly hot you know yeah. i'm one of those people i like to have the house cold so i can cover up with blankets right if it's hot there's not much you can do it's like i can exactly. take clothes off that's about it mm -hmm. penguins men had given him a ratty blanket which i'm surprised they did that much but it it didn't really help 
he'd die of exposure if the penguin didn't kill him first. So nearby, the penguin is prancing around with a black umbrella in either hand and is talking about cutting down a whole crop of Gotham's most promising before their prime. And then he points at a whole lake full of liquid more vile than whatever Max is currently hanging over. Mm -hmm. Penguin's like, and how am I going to get the kids in there? Well, it's going to be like a little Pied Piper, or what do you say, the Pied Penguin action. So he opens one of the umbrellas and it turns into this cute little uh, merry-go-round complete with music. So I guess he's imagining like the kids are going to follow him in a trance (laughs) while they're (laughs) looking at this merry-go-round and he's just going to lead them into this lake of goo. And if they don't, he's going to machine gun a few and then the others <laughs> will get the idea. I was like, well, okay, I guess that works. Yeah, so, sometimes you gotta, you got to set an example. Yeah. Yep. And we learn also that this goo is actually uh, industrial byproducts from Max Shrek's industries. Yeah, which again, that, that was mentioned earlier when he was saying, like, I got a whole lagoon of this crud in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he, he admitted. So it's a callback to this that uh, he's about to be drowned in his own industrial waste. Mm-hmm. Tragic irony or poetic justice? You tell me. Chapter thirty-eight, scene two. It was a circus train from hell. The odd collection of circus wagons wound its way through the early morning streets of Gotham City. Bright wagons painted blue and red and yellow, cheerful circus colors. But each of these old and cheerful wagons was a cage, its sides filled with iron bars, and behind these bars were children, four or five to a wagon, all boys, all the firstborn sons of Gotham, destined to be the penguin's victims, or so he planned. The second scene is from maybe Batman's point of view. This is one scene that's really kind of omniscient. But anyway, it describes that line of circus wagons that you were mentioning this little circus train going around it's brightly colored and cheerful but each one of the cages or each one of the wagons was a cage in which the firstborn of gotham were held the train stops and i guess the organ grinder is the engineer because Mm -hmm. he's you know yelling at the others like hurry up and get those kids loaded and the organ grinder's monkey screams as batman yanks the organ grinder from his seat I'm sure he'll deal with the acrobats and jugglers and clowns later and have the kids seen too. Yep. He is going to handle the Red Triangle gang all at once right there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just a short little scene showing this little uh, circus train. Chapter 38, scene three. The penguin had to get this just right. No use frightening the little darlings before they drowned horribly in the toxic ooze. He pirouetted with his colorful umbrella ready to lead his firstborn victims in a merry dance. This way, kiddies, he said in his most inviting tones. Jump right in. Of course, if the kids disagreed, he'd just machine gun a few of them to get them started. The third scene, Penguin is expecting the first batch of kids to arrive. He's already talking as if they're there. I thought some had arrived until I read later that, you know, there's no one there yet. But he's like, this way, kitties, jump right in. Yeah, I think he was pantomiming what he was imagining was going to happen when they got there, that he was going to greet them and then lead them and, you know, do whatever. And I think he was just imagining this is what I'm going to do. But no one's there yet. He was just getting ready. (laughs) But someone is there and it's the organ grinder's monkey Mm -hmm. (laughs) coming down the stairs but there's no organ grinder, so Penguin knows something is up. And he asks the monkey, 
so where are the kids? Don't tell me they stopped at McDonald's. One of the goons notices that the monkey has a note. Penguin grabs it, and the note reads, Dear Penguin, the children regret that they are unable to attend. Have a disappointing day, Batman. <laughs> I love that you have a disappointing day. <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder if this is like the first note that he's ever written as Batman. Huh, that's a good point. He like has had to scribble out Bruce Wayne because he accidentally signed that first. <laughs> I was like, and did he use his normal handwriting or did he <laughs> write with his left hand to make it look different? <laughs> yeah. And then, like since he wrote with his left hand, it looks all childlike. And... <laughs> it looks all chopped up. <laughs> Penguin really wants to kill Batman, but since Batman isn't there, something else will have to do. He looks at the monkey, but he's like, oh, can't shoot the messenger. <laughs> so instead, he points one of his umbrellas at the fat clown and pumps about 20 rounds into him. And he said, there, that felt better. He wasn't finished yet. He had more plans, bigger plans, deadlier plans. And this time, he'd use someone he could trust. So rest in pieces, poor fat clown. Yeah, poor guy. In the movie, just that same clown dies, but it's earlier, like, uh, when Penguin comes down after the debacle with the speech that Batman makes him not do mayor and then Penguin gets chased back underground. So he goes down and gets all of his pads and he's handing them out all to the Triangle Gang. And he's like, go find all these names and bring them to me. And then the fat clown is the one that's like, these are kids. You want us to go kidnapping kids? And then <laughs> Penguin just grabs an umbrella and shoots him and he Aww. falls dead. And then he's like... I was like, you take his list. And then so so he's kind of did what he said he was going to do to the kids. It was like, if anyone if anyone objects, machine gun them, and then the rest will get the idea. So, jeez. Oh, uh, so, so the poor fat clown trying to have a little bit of conscience. He and... did. In the movie, he did. Here, it's just, <laughs> that fat clown was going to die regardless. So it's just <laughs> whenever it was going to happen. Chapter 39, scene one. Why hadn't he just done this in the first place? After all, he'd been planning this campaign for years, designing the special headgear, fitting the guns and heaven weaponry so that they could be operated by birds. But he'd gotten sidetracked by dreams of personal glory or a personalized revenge. But these dreams had depended on outside factors, people and events that the penguin could not control. He looked out at his troops, over a hundred strong, it had taken the Penguin and the remaining members of the Red Triangle Circus Gang close to a whole day to outfit them all. But it had been worth it, for they'd finished their work just before Christmas Eve. And what next? The Penguins had thought about this speech long and hard, for it would lead to his greatest moment. So chapter 39, the first scene is from Penguin's point of view again. We now see who are the ones that he could trust to help him carry out his plans. It is over 100 feathered penguins, feathered troops. Penguin wonders why he didn't just do this in the first place. And apparently he's been working on this plan for years. Mm -hmm. He had gotten sidetracked by dreams of personal glory or personalized revenge. But we learned that he and the Red Triangle Circus Gang have been working for a very long time with these... Um, little helmets for the penguins and these little bazookas and finding a radio signal that they can use to control the penguins' movements. So he starts talking to his troops before sending them to battle. He says, my penguins, we stand at a great threshold. It's okay to be scared. Many of you won't be coming back. He wipes a tear away. He continues, thanks to Batman, 
the time has come to punish all God's children. And I don't know why it said chillin'. Yeah, a weird dialect thing. <laughs> that yeah. was kind of odd. <laughs> An unfortunate choice that doesn't quite work as smoothly as it might have done 30 years ago. But yeah, come to punish all God's children. First, second, third, and fourth born. Why be biased? Male and female. Hell, the sexes are all equal with their erogenous zones blown sky high. And I'll be happy if I never have to read or hear Penguin say erogenous zones ever again. <laughs> Especially when talking about children. Yeah, exactly. Especially when talking about children. This yeah. uh, this whole scene is kind of neat. It's like his Citizen Kane moment where he's giving this big speech to these penguins. And uh, he, I, like, if, if I'm not mistaken in the beginning, like, didn't he call this whole big major plan like Operation Penguin Storm at yeah. some point, which I think is a hilarious name. I... I it it does drop a little information here that I, I didn't even think about. But like whenever I watch this movie, I always just thought Penguin had a rapport with the penguins because the penguins found him when he was tossed in the river and then went into the sewer and wound up at Arctic World. And the penguins found him and they raised him. So he was like one of their own. And that's why, you know, he listened to them. They listened to him because, you know, they raised him and they were like, kind of like a little family. But uh, here... In the book, it drops, and maybe that's part of it, but then part of the book drops that he figured out this frequency that lets him control the penguins. And uh, so I don't know if maybe he just needed that for this Operation Penguin Storm and not some of the other stuff, but it, it kind of at least partial his control over penguins is this frequency that he's discovered. Yeah, because it seems like at other times in smaller instances, the penguins are pretty well connected to him and are there with him and there was a mention of them squawking with approval when he said something earlier on and uh yeah we'll we'll still see a little bit of that of the penguins having this weird bond with him but perhaps this the, the weapons were a little bit too sophisticated to depend on all the birds doing right. it at the right time but because it did sound like from the from the book that some of the penguins were actually manipulating the little bazookas that they had. <laughs> so I thought that was like, really? That's that's rather dexterous for penguins. I didn't know they, they could do that. Yeah. And man, if, if Penguin wasn't in this life of crime, he could have had a calling with remote control things because he got the Batmobile. He's controlling penguins. I mean, this is groundbreaking stuff. That's true. That is true. So the poodle lady is the one at the controls her poodle was the one who jumped up and snatched a uh, battering out of the air <laughs> so, yeah once again remote uh, control battering <laughs> penguin commands forward march the liberation of gotham has begun the penguins begin to march in unison toward the city and penguin finishes it up by saying the grinch just stole christmas i'm gonna kill it barbecue it chop it up and chew its bones <laughs> yeah He's got to go out with a, a showman's <laughs> yep, flair. Very much, very much a showman's line there. Yeah, which I guess makes sense with him hanging out with that circus gang. Yeah, that's true. He, he's always been kind of a showman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 39, Scene 2. The Batmobile might be down, but there was more than one way to patrol Gotham City, especially when your prey was a creature like the Penguin. Batman drove the Batski boat down Gotham River and into the main conduit of the sewers. This would be the first real test of his new vehicle, a sleek, compact black craft designed along the same lines as the Batmobile, a combination of speedboat and jet ski. The sewers were dark and vast, and changes over the years had made it virtually impossible to map them from city records. 
The penguin might have been able to hide down here for years. But now Batman knew where to look. The second scene is from Batman's point of view. Even though the Batmobile is still out of commission, he does have another way to get around Gotham. And that is in this bat ski boat. <laughs> yeah, which in the movie, the vehicle is really cool. Um, but then I don't know if it's just me. It sounds weird that the name is bat ski boat. All one word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it belongs to some Russian guy named Batsky. You know, it's Batsky's boat. Uh, <laughs> I was like... thinking, I was kind of thinking that too. What caught me was I was thinking it was like a bat ski boat. And I thought, like, why does he have a ski boat? Does he and Alfred go? Like, is he <laughs> skiing while Alfred is piloting the boat? Like, I don't understand. But then farther down, it's a cross between a speedboat and a jet ski. So mm-hmm. it's not a, it's a speedboat and a jet ski, not a ski boat, which I don't know if that's like a separate thing. I, I'm not up on my boat lore. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. when I heard ski boat, I was just imagining Batman, you know... Like at one of those, uh, like one of those shows, and and at like Martha's Vineyard, where you're riding by, <laughs> like stacks of people riding behind a ski a speedboat. Exactly, <laughs> his little cape just flying in the wind. Yep. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see it in the movie because I have no memory of this, so I'm guessing it's something that's maybe a larger than a jet ski, but it's something he's kind of riding on rather than riding in. Yeah. No. I mean, it looks like. It looks like a well. It's really hard to explain because he's riding in the sewer, and you you assume it's a bat ski boat, so it rides on top of the water. But the sewer, there's not really a lot of water for it to ride on, and it's a big, heavy vehicle, so I don't really know how that works. Mm-hmm. So it would just sink to the bottom. So I, I don't know. It's when you see it, it looks cool and it moves cool, but when you really think about it, it's like I don't understand really how that works. Yeah. <laughs> so the sewers are ancient. Uh, Gotham is a very old city, and changes made over the years make it virtually impossible for a map to be able to map them from city records. I'm getting some it vibes there. Have you are you a Stephen King fan? <laughs> uh, yes, I am, but I haven't read that one or seen the movies or anything. But um, I that that's a very apt comparison, and and I love this little tidbit that it's like those sewers after rebuilding and additions to Gotham and everything that the underground sewers have become almost unmappable and so there's Mm -hmm. like just miles of just hidden tunnels and all through here and that's how the penguin's been able to stay hidden and I love that explanation I think that's great yeah and part of that just awakens this fear in me that I've never experienced is it like labyrinthophobia or something I can't something like that Mm. where I've watched these movies that take place in the French catacombs and they get farther and farther into the catacombs and all these twists and turns and I just start panicking like I would never find my way back out. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I get that with uh, whenever you see like, and I don't know if they've had a movie on it, but like those underground caverns that people scuba into and then get lost in, like I freak out about them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, scary stuff. So he doesn't have a map, but he but Alfred was able to find a frequency, like a radio transmission frequency, similar to the one that was used in the Batmobile. And so they're using that to kind of home in on Penguin's location. So you totally called that, like the frequency to control the Penguins was similar to the frequency he used on the Batmobile. So Penguin's all about this remote control thing. 
Yeah, and I'm kind of impressed that the radio frequency could travel through the sewer systems. Yeah, that's true. But Alfred says he's ready when he is. So Batman rounds a corner and there are four penguins there wearing their little gun helmets and holding their little bazookas. <laughs> and they raise their weapons. And Batman, and you know, this is all like movie magic type stuff, I'm sure, guns the jet motor on the boat and it, where the pipe is round, it kind of climbs the wall and goes up and over the penguins because, you know, for a moment it's on the ceiling. And by the time he completes the circuit of the pipe, coming back to the water, he's on the far side of the penguins and uh, they're out of range. I think I've done that in some of the in Arkham Knight, where you have to do these little timed courses with the Batmobile. And oh. I think there's some like where you're, you're flipping, like doing, a, like yeah, banking I, around curves. I think I remember that. I played a little bit of that with my son on the Xbox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How true it would be, especially when he's just using a boat. I don't know. Eh, I don't know. It's, it's pushing it a little bit. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, that that's where I fail to keep my suspension of disbelief is with that, not with the penguins with bazookas. Yeah, no, that's perfectly <laughs> normal. Yeah. <laughs> perfectly believable. <laughs> <laughs> that ends that scene. He's still on his way to, to get the penguin. Chapter 39, scene 3. All my children, the penguin thought, marching bravely down the streets of Gotham City, about to blow the city to holy hell. They'd teach the sanctimonious citizens a thing or two, or at least those who were left alive. He stared up at the monitors and saw all but one of his units already in place. The last group had been delayed by some small disturbance in the sewer tunnels, but even they were climbing from their designated manhole to take up their position outside Gotham Plaza. The poodle lady looked up at the big clock. Everything was right on schedule. Ten, the poodle lady began the countdown. Nine, the penguin could barely contain his enthusiasm. The Christmas Eve of destruction, he chortled. This would let Gotham know how he really felt about the holidays. Chapter th or Scene 3 is from Penguin's point of view. And the penguin thinks about all of his children bravely marching down the streets of Gotham and about to blow the city to hell. And according to his monitors, all but one of the units of penguins are in place. And the last one, they're they're moving into place now. It's like, oh, something probably distracted them in the sewer and, and climbed, you know, slowed them up. But he kind of dis dismisses that. So they're climbing up out of the manholes, which I don't know how penguins would do that. And Poodle Lady starts counting down from ten... And the penguins are in position, and then it says, Larry instructed them to angle their bazookas for maximum destruction, and in my notes I put, who the hell is Larry? <laughs> I wondered that too. <laughs> <laughs> so you wonder that too? Like, I, I have no idea who Larry is. He just yeah. showed up. The guy he hired just to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no questions, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it must have been something that was, like, cut in an edit and, like, it was just missed or something because I, I have no memory of it. Of yeah, throughout the I, yeah of it. and I can't think of it either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Like, the penguins are in place. They have their little bazookas aimed for the storefronts and to get anybody inside, which is pretty... I mean, last-minute shopping for Christmas is punishment enough. There's no need to bazooka them. Yeah, I mean, for real. Chapter 40, Scene 1. Alfred sat at the console, ready for his employer's instructions. 28 degrees west, Batman repeated, double-checking the coordinates. Shall we? 
Alfred typed the appropriate command into the console before him. Frequency jammed, the monitor replied. Chapter 40. The first scene is from Alfred's point of view. And he it's very short. He just gets the coordinates from Batman and he types in a command on the computer and the monitor says frequency jammed. And I immediately thought, was it Spaceballs? Where they have like this big dish and it says like their communications were jammed and it was just covered in like, you know, fruit <laughs> Like a giant jar of jam hit it yeah. in the middle of it and then the jam full came down the monitor. Yes, that was Spaceballs. <laughs> That's a great, great visual. <laughs> That's what popped in my head with that. (laughs) So that was pretty much it for that first scene. Chapter 40, Scene 2. The Penguin couldn't take his eyes off the video screens. This was the kind of program that really sucked you in. One final command, and Gotham City would become Goddardomurum. Ah, Gotham, he mused gleefully. You wouldn't put me on a pedestal, so I'm laying you on a slab. The poodle lady coughed. She threw a switch, then a second, and a third. She seemed to be having a little trouble. Well, a funny thing, she remarked in a very tentative tone. Your penguins, they're not responding to your launch command. In fact, she flinched before she continued. They're kind of turned around now, like like someone jammed our signal. The second is from Penguin's point of view. And again, Penguin shows me how much more learned he is than I am about random information because he's watching the screens and he's thinking like, okay, this one final command and Gotham City would become Gotterdomerung. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, is a a movement in one of Richard Wagner's thingy-majiggers. But according to Merriam-Webster, says it is a collapse as of a society or regime marked by catastrophic violence and disorder. Which sounds about what uh, what Penguin is going for. That's exactly what he's going for. Mm Mm-hmm. He says that Gotham wouldn't put him on a pedestal, so he's going to put it on a slab. Put it on a slab, yep. I think that's a cool line, actually. Mm-hmm. Penguin really does have a lot of good lines throughout he, this. He does. So the poodle lady clears her throat and throws some switches, and she's like, Oh, funny thing, your penguins, they're not responding to your launch command. In fact, they're kind of turned around now, like someone jammed our signal. And at first, Penguin is confused. You jammed? Who could that be? <laughs> oh, wait. And I was worried about the uh, poodle lady's health at this point. Yeah, yes, exactly. He already killed one fat clown. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't see why he wouldn't kill her. Right. He th- remembers now that momentary distraction that the penguins in the sewer that held them up. So he pulls up some security footage or something, and he sees this Batsky boat. <laughs> Penguin says, I'm starting, just starting to lose my temper now. <laughs> and thankfully for Poodle Lady, he just grabs a fresh umbrella and heads toward his duck vehicle. So he doesn't kill anyone on the way out. That's good. That is very good. I mean, he's running out of out of allies anyway. So Yeah, yeah he, he is. Chapter 40, Scene 3. Max couldn't believe it. He had spent hours down here maybe even days, hanging in the cage, dozing from time to time with his arms around the bars. He had thought it was hopeless, only a matter of time before he was killed along with any number of others. 
but instead he had not seen one, but two of the penguin's master plans brilliantly foiled. And the penguin, so sure of himself before, seemed to have forgotten everything except revenge. And that everything included Max. So the third scene is from Max's point of view. And at this point, Max isn't sure if he has spent hours or days in the cage. He thought it would be only a matter of time before Penguin killed him, but now he has seen not one, but two of Penguin's plans foiled. So he's watching the Penguin as all this stuff is happening. He sees him barge out and he's like, okay, he's no longer thinking about me. He's thinking about revenge on Batman. So this might be my chance to to escape. Some things happen here. I have no, I can't visualize how they're happening. But Agreed. It's very confusing how the book handles this. <laughs> right, because the last we knew, he was hanging in a cage above this pool of goo. Mm-hmm. After Penguin got into his duck vehicle and left, it says that Max bends down and grabs the key from the organ grinder's monkey. And he takes a step toward the stairs when something wraps around his leg. He looks down to seize a whip. And as he falls into the water, he manages to grab a gun off the body of the dead fat clown. So there's a lot of moving parts there, and they're not really well connected together, in my opinion. Right. Agreed. Because I, I guess the gist is that I'm more impressed with, like, he he finagles the keys from the monkey. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't go into detail how he did that. And I would like to know. Um, I, and I don't think you get too much of it more in the movie. But uh, I was just like, somehow he was able to get the keys from the monkey. And that alone is impressive enough. Mm-hmm. And then he managed to, to get out of the cage without falling into the goo. True. At least not at first. And then when he does fall into, and they use the word water, which I don't think that's what the what it is he's falling into. No, it isn't. He ma- <laughs> manages to grab a gun off a dead clown. But another thing I wanted to, <laughs> to point out about this scene, he looks down to see what had grabbed his leg, and it was a whip. And it said, a fancy whip, a cat of nine tails. And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> because a cat of nine tails is very short and is used specifically for flogging people. Right. And <laughs> it wouldn't be long enough and agile enough to wrap around a person's leg. That's funny because I thought the exact same thing when it described it as a cat of nine tails. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) I was like, does that mean one of the triangle gang is stopping him? Like, what does that mean? Because that is not the whip that Catwoman's using, which is who I thought this Mm -hmm. was. But I think the book is just trying to make the play on the cat of nine tails whip. And it's incorrect. Right. Yeah, I, I think so, too. They're just trying to make that cat tail joke, and it just... Another cat joke. Yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> it is very wrong. So, yeah, that whole scene is a bit of a mess, but we get the gist of what's happening. Again, like, I, I'm also assuming he's doing all this escaping in front of the poodle lady because she didn't go anywhere. But maybe she's just like, Penguin's not here, so I'm off the clock. I don't care. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think the movie actually shows her disappear. Like, after everything goes sideways, you see her just kind of disappear from the, wherever, the little control room that she's in. She just kind of disappears. Like, she knows <laughs> things have gone sideways. I better get out of here or I'm going to wind up the same as that fat clown. So Yeah, smart I think, woman. So I think she's, she may not be there anymore. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah, go, exactly. Get, get your poodle and go find a new way of life, honey. <laughs> go find another triangle gang to hang out with. Chapter 40, Scene 4. Batman had almost reached the penguin's lair, but something was moving up ahead. 
He could see a new blip on his screen, a thermal image of what lay ahead. It wasn't a boat exactly. The vehicle ahead appeared to be shaped like a large rubber duck, and it was headed for the surface. His boat reached a fork in the pipes. Batman turned sharply, entering the sewer main that angled up toward the surface. Where penguins go, bats can follow. The fourth scene of chapter 40 is from Batman's point of view. He sees a new blip on his screen, and he has very precise imaging on his radar because the blip shows up in the shape of a duck. Yeah! (laughs) I thought the same thing. I'm like... That's not how radar works, but I love that that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how bat radar works. <laughs> that's how bat radar. <laughs> that's right, it's bat radar. Good point. It's bat radar. It shows the actual shape of the thing. It's radar. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he sees that this, uh, this thing is heading toward the surface, which I'm guessing surface streets. He thinks well, where penguins can go, bats can follow. So he... Uh, finds a branch of the pipes that are going upward and he takes his bat ski boat up there and that is about it for that little scene chapter 40 scene 5 he had reached the top of arctic world grand and glorious exhibition site of yesteryear which more important to the penguin held a door that led outside beyond the sewers where he might get lost in the great mass of gotham city The penguin laughed as he steered the duck into the lake beyond the exhibit. He'd steal away to plan another day. He stopped laughing at the sound of breaking glass. Something was plowing through the top of the old Arctic world. Something like that damned bat ski boat. The fifth scene is from Penguin's point of view. So he's in his little duck thingy and reaches the top of Arctic world. And the sound of breaking glass catches his attention. And I'll be curious to see how this is done in the movie. Because, again, there wasn't a lot of detail about what was happening where. So I couldn't really envision it very well. But I just imagine uh, him and his little duck vehicle. And then the bat ski boat comes out from somewhere at an upward trajectory and Mm -hmm. is able to kind of land on top of the duck it's interesting that penguin also thinks of it as the bat ski boat so he already knows the name of this vehicle (laughs) he did name call it and didn't he say call it like something like a bat ski boat (laughs) like a (laughs) i think yeah it was amazing he knew what the name was i'm guessing batman was didn't care if like his vehicle crushed penguin no, he was. It looked like he was expecting that to happen. Actually, mm-hmm. Batman doesn't kill people. <laughs> the bat the crushing boat kills people. <laughs> <laughs> the crushing weight of the batski boat kills people. Chapter forty, scene six. His craft had stopped. His aim had been perfect, crashing into the penguin's escape vehicle. But what had happened to the penguin? Batman popped open the cockpit and climbed out. He looked beneath his craft for some sign of the Birdman. A bit of soiled coat, perhaps, or a piece of an umbrella. He saw movement from the corner of his eye. The penguin was on top of him. The sixth scene is from Batman's point of view. And, you know, the bat ski boat comes from a, a halt. I keep thinking of it as, as like a Russian or Polish Batman. The bat ski boat. <laughs> the bat ski boat. <laughs> he comes to a halt, having crashed into a penguin's duck vehicle. 
And he looks under his boat to try to find some sign of penguin. A bit of soiled coat or a piece of umbrella. So yeah, I, I it sounds like he was aiming to damage at the very least. Or, I mean, giving him the benefit of the doubt, that thing shoots out. He sees it lands on the duck. So he's like, oh, you know, maybe I got lucky and crushed the guy. You know, it's like I wasn't aiming for him. But if it just happens <laughs> by accident, then I didn't. It's not like I actually killed him. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, he was blind in a pipe. He didn't know where it was going to come out. Yeah, he, I, did, I had no idea. <laughs> I was he just going up. That. I was just going up. That's all I was. <laughs> this <is> Batman. <laughs> Never mind this incredibly specific radar i have telling me exactly where it yeah, is. Tell me exactly where it is <laughs> yeah so he's looking under the boat but then he catches movement from the corner of his eye and that tells him that the penguin is above him now penguin i would not recommend doing any kind of physical altercation with batman <laughs> but that is what he does in these he scenes does. i think he lets the situation get away from him a little bit there and he gets a bit excited and he goes <laughs> after batman not sure what He's really thinking there. Yeah, I mean, he manages to get on Batman's shoulders, and he has his legs wrapped around his neck, and he's pecking at his cowl and stabbing him with the tip of the umbrella. So, I mean, he did get the jump on Batman. Yeah. However short-lived it was. Yeah. And Penguin says, I think you're jealous that I'm a genuine freak, and you have to wear a mask. And Batman says, maybe you're right, and he manages to shake him loose somehow. And Penguin says, but in the end... All that counts is who's holding the umbrella. So he, he has an umbrella. He points it at Batman and presses the handle. But it's that... Oh, no. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. This one right. is a weapon. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this one is a sword. And yep. again, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go for melee weapons with Batman. I'd go... For, like, we know you have umbrellas that shoot bullets. Go for those. Yeah. That's the one you need. <laughs> yeah. Batman, in response to the sword, holds out a black palm-sized electronic device with a button and he just kind of holds it and penguin is like okay what's this so he's just kind of watching batman kind of circling him and at this point penguin notices that his penguins are all returning to arctic world because their little radio devices are turned off so they're just returning home at this point yes when batman turns to look at the penguins penguin yells and lunges forward with a sword which Batman easily avoids, of course, because he yelled and telegraphed his attack. Yeah, it was, it was exactly what happened. <laughs> but in surprise, and it surprised me as well, Batman actually drops this device. Penguin grabs it, and I, I don't think it was an accident that he dropped the device, considering what happens next, but mm-hmm. Penguin grabs it and pushes the button, and two panels in the Batski boat fall away, and... <laughs> I'm just imagining Alfred having to cram dozens of bats in these little compartments. (laughs) And these poor bats are just crammed in this space, confused and agitated, been locked in an enclosed space for far too long. Not to mention that this bat ski boat has been going all over the place and jumping and landing. So these bats have had a rough time. Right. Yeah. And who knows when he put them in there? Did he do it right before Bruce left? I mean, and you'd think being bats... Bruce would treat them with a little bit more respect than shoving them into like a hot bat ski trunk. Right. <laughs> I mean, because they're agitated when they come out. And the book even mentions that. This is that they've been jostled around. He probably hadn't fed them for a little while. <laughs> you know, they're... So you think uh, being Batman, he would have treated them with a little bit more respect. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. 
Once the bats come out, they are attracted by this device that Penguin now has in his hand. Mm-hmm. And they start swarming him. So he staggers backward onto the pathway that leads to the Arctic World exhibit, trying to escape the circling rodents. They're not rodents. That, <laughs> I've mentioned this before. <laughs> but every time it comes up, I'm going to say, they're not rodents. <laughs> I don't know exactly what family they're in, but it's not... I'm actually going to look that up real quick. Because I'm curious. But they belong to the family Microchiroptera. They are placental mammals. After rodents, they make up the largest order, making up about 20% of mammal species. Huh. Hmm. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. The more you know. So yes, bats belong to the order Chiroptera, not rodents. (laughs) Not rodents. So yeah, he's backing up and he's trying to escape the bats. And he crashes through glass and falls backward into his lair. And again, it, I wasn't really sure, because it said he he's on a pathway, but then he falls through glass. Yeah, so going by what I remember from the movie, how this works, is they're in front of the old Arctic World exhibit. And I think, like, so, like, there's a building behind them, but then off to their side over there, there's, like, a giant window, like, a big circular window that looks down into the penguin exhibit, so that's mm-hmm. where they, so like down where they've normally been, where the Max is and where they, you see them most of the time. That's all the penguin exhibit. And there's a big giant window in the top. And that's where they are, is they're way up top in the front. And so Penguin fell through that window back into the penguin exhibit, I think. Is kind gotcha. Of yeah, I can, I can envision that. If only they had put more detail in the story. Chapter 41, scene one. The bats wouldn't leave him alone. He had smashed through the old observation window. The glass had cut him in a dozen places, adding to his exhaustion. And the bats were everywhere, swooping, chattering. They were even worse than monkeys. He looked below and saw the moat around the old penguin island coming up fast. He was going to hit hard. Well, the bats couldn't follow him there. He splashed into the moat, letting himself sink all the way to the bottom. So chapter 41, the first couple scenes are really small. The first one is from Penguin's point of view. We just learned that the glass has cut him in dozens of places and the bats were still everywhere. And he lands in the moat that's around the Penguin Island and he lets himself sink to the bottom. So not much happening there, just that he landed in water and is fine, presumably. Chapter 41, scene 2. Batman looked down at the Arctic World exhibit below. The penguin was nowhere to be seen. But there were two others down there, struggling. Max Shrek and Catwoman. He'd have to take care of that in a moment. But first, he had to deal with an army of heavily armed penguins. He moved quickly back to his boat and used his phone to tell Alfred to stop jamming the signals. Alfred complied. The second scene is from Batman's point of view. And Batman looks down through where Penguin crashed. He doesn't see Penguin, but he sees Max and Catwoman. He thinks, okay, I'll have to deal with that later, but first, the penguins. (laughs) So he (laughs) contacts Alfred to tell him to stop jamming the signals. So once the signal is reestablished, the penguins' bazookas aim for the old remains of the exhibits and fire. And the exhibit explodes. And I'm not sure why he did that. Do you have any ideas? 
Like, why why not just leave the, the yeah, penguin signals jammed and then disarm them later? Yeah, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is that now penguins down there and then uh, other than to kill the penguin or you know i mean that's the only thing i can think of is that he unjams it and or actually what what i think what it is is the penguin unjammed it but then set the locator on himself so like all everything they fire off it just follows him and hmm. blows fires up and then goes into that hole in the ground and blows that whole hole into pieces and falls down into the thing. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that that, I mean, maybe he was thinking it would destroy Arctic world, but I mean, specifically it would kill penguin. So, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is, but he's got to know that that end game is going to be penguin dies. And then Batman just killed someone. Yeah. And not to mention he, he knows that Max and Catwoman are down there too. Yeah, that's true. So it's really, I, I don't, I don't see a good reason for him to to do this other than maybe he just wants them to spend their ammunition so that Penguin can't use them again later. Maybe so. But you think it would have gone into a better place. Yeah, because it seemed like it's very targeted specifically to that remote or something. So it's also confusing in the movie. I'll let you know that <laughs> from what I remember, I was just like, what What was that for? Why did he do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least we got to see the penguins fire their bazookas. So Yeah. I mean, you can't have that visual gag without actually using it, I guess. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so chapter 41, scene three. Of Most of these scenes so far haven't had a lot of dialogue, but I finally found a scene with a little dialogue and a little narrative that I can add in there later. So are you ready to do some rest in peace theater? Yes. Awesome. Rest in peace theater is proud to present... That time, Selena wants a blood donation. She finally had Max Shrek where she wanted him. Alone in this crumbling exhibit. The world was exploding outside, and the heat seemed to be melting the ice around them. The water level was rising, making the island that she and Max shared smaller by the minute. There was no way for him to escape. I don't know what you want but I know I can get it for you with a minimum of fuss. He waited for her to suggest something. She didn't. Money? Jewels? A big ball of string? Your blood, Max. He grew even more pale than he had been before. My my blood? I gave it the office. A half pint. I want gallons. She curled her whip around his neck with a flick of her wrist. It was time for Max Shrek to have a little date with that big humming generator. But Max didn't want to go. Let's make a deal. Other than my blood, what can I offer? Sorry, Max. A die for a die. She added, dragging him so that he might have reached out and touched the wheezing generator. The melting ice seemed to have affected it as well. It was definitely laboring now, shooting out a whole steady stream of sparks. Either you've caught a cold, or you're planning to kill me. Smart boy. All she needed was to ground dear Max properly, and he should go up in sparks as well. A rope appeared nearby, dropping down from the dome above. A moment later, Batman dropped in as well. Max whimpered and crawled toward him. You're not saving one life, you're saving a city and its way of life. Batman drop-kicked him into the generator. Max yelped as he bounced off. Just a small shock this time. 
a taste, Catwoman hoped, of things to come. Batman turned to Max. Sometimes, she had to admit, she liked his style. First, you're going to shut up. Then, you're going to turn yourself in. What? This was what she got for getting involved with this sort of goody-goody? Don't be naive. The law doesn't apply to people like him. Or us. Wrong. On both accounts. He reached out to take Max. No. Catwoman wouldn't let that creep get away. She cartwheeled straight at Batman, delivering a swift kick to his abdomen. He flew backwards, falling. Why are you doing this? We could drop him off at the city jail, then go home together. I'm not a house cat. Batman started to smile. She couldn't stand that. She lashed out with her claws, scratching Batman's face. He pivoted away from her talons, punching out with his fist to push her beyond arm's reach. I won't declaw you. Just watch where you sharpen those things. Catwoman stared at him. If only she didn't have to deal with Max. But she did, and Batman stood in the way. Don't you see? We're the same. Split down the middle. Just like in a fairy tale, I can live with you in your castle forever after. If only, she thought, there wasn't this other thing I had to do first. She leaned forward. She longed for the sweetness of his kiss. She gave him a headbutt instead. He reeled backwards. I just couldn't live with myself. Selena, Selena Kyle, you're fired. And Bruce, Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up as Batman? He is Batman, you moron. But Max had a gun in his hand. Was. He shot at the rising Batman, catching him in the side of the neck. Batman fell to his knees as Max turned the gun on Catwoman. Where did he get the gun? She should have been watching Max, not arguing with Bruce. Corndog. She stopped herself. That was Selina Kyle's thinking. That was her past. For better or worse, Catwoman would have to face the gun. She sauntered toward him. You killed me. Batman killed me. The Penguin killed me. Three lives down. Got enough bullets to finish me off? One way to find out. He squeezed the trigger. One bullet hit her arm. Another ripped into her thigh. She kept on walking. She pulled off her hood. Four, five, still alive. She was bleeding, but she couldn't feel it. She pulled out the stun gun. She was going to finish this if it was the last thing she would ever do. Oh, right. I like that scene. Mm hmm. <laughs> I pretty much knew once Max knew their identities that he probably wouldn't be sticking around. <laughs> True. So, that, yeah, when, when, <laughs> though, has he taken his mask off yet? No, that shows up in the next, the next chapter. So yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. The, the next, next scene. Yeah. <laughs> so how he recognizes Bruce Wayne right away. I don't know. I, maybe he's got that jawline or something that he recognizes yeah um but it is interesting that he recognized him and selena of course he spent a lot of time with her so he'd recognized selena um, yeah yeah it, it's interesting in the book because he recognizes them 
because in the movie bruce rips off his mask and is talking when he's talking to selena and it's a big it's in the trailers it's like a big famous thing where he rips off his mask and that's when max recognizes him and says why are you dressed up as batman um but here in the book it he says that before he rips off the mask so you've just got to assume that it, somehow he just recognized him i don't know it's kind of funny yeah <laughs> because and that will lead us right into scene four which we can we can go ahead and get into chapter 41 scene four Selina had been shot twice. Batman pulled off his own mask, trying to staunch the blood on his wounded neck. He told himself it wasn't much more than a flesh wound. No matter how bad it was, he had to stop Max before he killed Selina. He tried to get to his feet, but he was too dizzy. Selina, he managed. Please stop. Max fired again, hitting her other leg. She kept on coming. He shot one more time, blowing away the barrel of her weapon. Sparks flew from what remained in her hand. That Batman pulls off his mask to try to staunch the flow of blood from his neck because he got uh, winged by a bullet in the neck. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the mask is the best thing to hold to a wound, especially when you have about 15 yards of cape behind you. <laughs> <laughs> and the the mask is you know providing a couple services it's hiding your identity and it's providing some protection like it, i don't know how armored uh this version of the bat suit is the cowl but at least maybe something so i i would have just torn off a piece of cape or something yeah i mean that's true and it's a good point and it's a little dicey there um like how would it penetrate the armor and why is he tearing off his mask i don't know i mean and, and in the movie it's the same thing he tears off his mask and it looks like the the cowl tears off like it's just like toilet paper or cardboard or something that looks so <laughs> weird or just like normal rubber and not really like any kind of armor so it's all kind of weird but to give you a visual i guess yeah so Batman is just watching Selina get shot by Max and he's tries to stand up and he's not thinking about saving Max from her. He's thinking about saving her from Max. And he says, Selina, please stop. So Max shoots twice more. He gets her in the other leg and then he blows off the barrel of her weapon. Selina keeps walking. She's getting shakier. Mm-hmm. And she counts six, seven, all good girls go to, and Max aims and pulls the trigger, but now he's out of ammo. Which, to be fair, he did pretty good. Like, he pretty much hit her every time. Yeah. He just wasn't getting spots that were taking her down. And that's oddly careless of Selena to just walk toward the bullets. And it it's almost like, did she have a, a bit of a death wish or something? Well, it's very nebulous, nebulous here about... So, and the movie talks about it and the book talks about it, like, that she actually had nine lives from mm -hmm. being resurrected by the cats. Oh. And the first couple times that she says she was killed, which, you know, Max tried to kill her once, and then she said Batman tried to kill her once, but I don't know if she's counting falling in the kitty litter, because that, that wasn't going to kill her. I mean, she, yeah, she didn't die there. And the penguin, I mean, I guess that, that one, I mean, she was choking and, and flying, but she got out of it. So I don't know if that was really a death either. So up until this point, it's like, you kind of get the idea, the book's trying to tell you maybe she has nine lives, but also it's just how she looks at it. Mm -hmm. But here, 
it's like so she really believes it and she's really going after it and it's taking lives as it goes so it's like i don't know it's it definitely makes a statement and it's interesting to see but no one says either way if she does or if she doesn't and but you do find out one way or the other here yeah that does make sense because like you said the the fall from the roof she landed in that that sand truck so she lucked out of that one it wouldn't have killed her Mm. Um, she got out of being hung by uh, the penguin's little helicopter thingy. Yeah. And then these wounds that she's bearing right now, right now they're just to her legs and extremities, so not hitting things that will be like immediately lethal. But yeah, maybe it is just like her her point of view. But the plan that she has for Max uh, is really kind of badass. <laughs> Yeah, She must really be counting on having at least two lives left because what she does, you know, while she has been advancing on Max, he's kind of backing up. And there have been a couple times that there is a mention of this generator that's powering this enormous air conditioning unit. And the generator is working overtime and has been sparking a little bit. So he's backed up against this generator now. And Selena has a stun gun and she puts it in her mouth and then grabs Max and then punctures her claws through the generator's fuse box. And this creates an electric arc that goes through her, the stun gun, and Max. And it's just um, a pretty nasty little scene. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, but it's pretty cool like how she pulls it off and does it and everything. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why she went that route, but it's good for theatrics. Yeah, because I, I guess she probably could have just killed him with the claws if she really wanted to. Mm-hmm. But this was, <laughs> I mean, go big or go home, right? Exactly. <laughs> when people say that, they underestimate my willingness to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 41, Scene 5. Commissioner Gordon looked out over Gotham Plaza. It was a happy scene for Christmas Eve as all the stolen children were matched up with their anxious parents, with the help of the police and some mayoral aides, and, of course, the services of Batman. It had been a strange night. Only a few minutes before, reports had come through about groups of penguins wandering around sporting strange helmets and carrying weapons. But the patrol cars hadn't been able to find a thing, probably somebody's idea of a joke. It was amazing what Christmas brought out in some people. Scene five, it jumps to Gordon's point of view, and we haven't seen, we haven't heard from him for a while, but it's just a short bit telling us that all the kidnapped children have been reunited with their parents. It had been a strange night with reports about groups of armed penguins, but he figures that's just the Christmas spirit bringing out jokesters, (laughs) making prank calls. Yep. (laughs) And then... Around him, uh, the electricity begins to surge and fade, and the bat signal even flashes on and off a couple times. And the Christmas tree lights up, and everyone cheers. And he's thinking, wow, we almost lost power to Gotham, so maybe Max Shrek was right about that power plant scheme all along. So that's all we get from Gordon. We just He's, all, he's on the surface, and the, the lights start to flash. And of <laughs> course, this is going to be from... Selena frying her and Max on this giant generator. Right. It's all, all this stuff is going on and we're seeing Gordon back in his office. (laughs) (laughs) This is what he sees. And he, he and GCPD are the worst. I mean, they are the worst. Chapter 41, scene six. 
Bruce heard a high scream of joy come from beneath the sparks. The cry sounded like a cat. He stumbled forward. He saw a body on the floor. Selena, Kyle, he called. There was no answer. He moved forward through the rising mist that formed when the sparks hit the surrounding mist. There was only one body here, and that belonged to Max Shrek. He was quite dead. He took a step away. The generator had stopped. Somehow the lights were still working, but the air conditioning was gone. It was getting hotter in here by the minute. He turned as he heard a voice behind him. Gotta crank the AC. Stuffy in here. It was the penguin, risen from the sewers. The sixth scene is from Batman's point of view. Batman hears, like, he's still bleeding and dizzy, so he's just, like, not getting around really well. He kind of stumbles forward toward the generator, and he thought he heard a cat-like scream of joy from the sparks. So he sees a body, and he calls Selina's name, but she doesn't answer. The body on the ground ends up being Max Shrek, who is quite dead, the narration says. Yeah. Yes, he is. I mean, since he knew their identity, you know, he just couldn't be asked to live. He wasn't going to keep that quiet. Unless there's some way of, like, making him think, no, it was the costume party, or there was no way he was going to protect those secrets. Yeah. The generator had stopped, and the lights were still working, but the AC unit was no longer on. From behind him, he hears Penguin say, gotta crank the AC, it's getting stuffy in here. Must be getting hot really fast, considering it's December. Yeah. Pretty low. Yeah. Like, they had it down pretty low, and if it stopped during the explosion, I think it would take a little longer than that. Especially because I think there's still ice over there. So, I mean, there's, like, in the lagoon and stuff. So, I mean, I I don't think it would get that hot that fast. But, I mean, maybe he's used to it so low that even if it goes up a few degrees, he's like, oh, it's too hot for me. But I think Batman even comments on it's getting hotter by the minute. Yeah. Especially since it's um, it's Christmas Eve topside, so it's not really hot. Not that that would affect right. this temperature. And yeah, I don't know. We'll just we'll we'll go with it. <laughs> it's another case of don't look at it too closely; it starts to unravel. Yeah. Chapter forty-two, scene one. The penguin looked terrible. His soiled clothing was soaked and torn. His face and hands bleeding. He supported himself by using two umbrellas as crutches. He seemed to be sweating, too, as he struggled over to the air conditioner, not even aware that someone else was present. The generator explosion had ignited some of the upper parts of the display. Fiery rubble fell from above. The penguin dodged the flaming debris as he tossed away one umbrella to free a flipper. He fiddled with the dials on a singed air conditioner. It didn't respond. It was as dead as the generator. He turned and saw Batman. So now we're on to chapter 42, and I believe this is the final chapter before the epilogue. And the first scene is from Penguin's point of view. He is in rough shape. He's bleeding. He's using umbrellas as crutches, which doesn't sound very comfortable. (laughs) He's already sweating. And he fiddles with the generator, but he sees that it's kaput. It's about this time that he turns and sees Batman is there. (laughs) This is another one of those great penguin lines. Without the mask, you're drop-dead handsome. So (laughs) drop-dead. I like that little line. 
That is a good line. After Penguin says this, he points the umbrella at Batman and presses the handle, but it's not the gun, it's not the sword, <laughs> it's the little merry-go-round that he was going to use to, to lure <laughs> the children to their gooey deaths. He's like, damn it, pick the cute one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he looks around for the other umbrella, and Batman has it and is pointing it at him. And Penguin says, hey, you wouldn't blow away an endangered bird. <laughs> Batman aims it between his eyes. Penguin turns and waddles away. You wouldn't shoot me in the back, would you? Which is kind of reminiscent of uh, the first Batman movie when he was up on Gotham Cathedral with Joker. I can't remember if it was in the book, but it was in the movie where Batman gets to the top to rescue Vicky Vale from Joker, and Joker puts on a pair of glasses and says, you wouldn't hit a man with glasses, would you? <laughs> That's right. So uh, I bet that is a callback. And instead of having props like Joker would have, he right. just... He just says them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Batman doesn't shoot, but he's following him. He still has the umbrella aimed, and Penguin says, I'm overheated is all. I'll murder you momentarily. But first, a cool drink of ice water. And I guess he belly flops into the moat or something. It doesn't quite reach the last chunks of ice. Right. If they're already melting, that's just like melting way too fast to be believable. (laughs) But he reaches for the ice, but then his little flipper falls. Does he die at this point? Yeah. Yeah, I think he does. He he reaches out for the ice. He doesn't get it. And then it's just kind of like, that's it. That was the last gasp, like literally. Mm. So was it the heat or just some of the wounds he had suffered? I think a, a bit of everything. Yeah. Like, uh, he, he, the wounds finally overcame him. But then also the heat was going up and his body couldn't react as well. Yeah. Yeah. First they killed Joker and now killing Penguin. Like he, he just can't kill these... Uh, these iconic characters, they have to come back for other for other uh, stories. Yeah, I don't know why they can't just put them in jail. I don't know why they feel like they got to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a lot of 80s and 90s movies are like, all right, you got to kill the bad guy. That just makes yeah. it final. That's true. So, and this is a bit where you had mentioned the penguins having this weird bond with him. And we see that here. As Batman watches, four emperor penguins come up and s- surround Penguin, and they pick him up in their beaks, and then carry him away like they're pallbearers, mm-hmm. and take him into the darkness. Yes, they do. Hmm. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's some kind of penguin burial graveyard or something that they're taking him to in the back or something, but uh, <laughs> yes, they do. They carry him off. Yeah. It's a little, again, another, perhaps a little bit too far of a stretch to, for to for that suspension of disbelief, but, you know, I don't know. And even Batman says, or thinks that he can't tell anyone about this because no one's going to believe it. And he wasn't really sure he <laughs> believed it himself. <laughs> sure believed it himself, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's where, where things, where stories like this lose me a little bit. Like, I have a pretty good suspension of disbelief. But once it crosses a, a line and it pulls me out of it, it's just like, oh, come on. I, I, I was with you. I was with you for a lot of this. But <laughs> there's just so many of these ha- have happened throughout this book. I mean, it's still an enjoyable 
novelization. And I'm sure like most of the stuff was just the, the screenwriters or the directors, like their stuff and, you know, trying to get that into the book. So I don't put this on the author at all. Uh, I think we had mentioned before about them disarming the Batmobile basically with a cat laser pointer toy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Chapter 42, Scene 2. All the lights were on in Gotham City. The Christmas tree blinked merrily, and the bat signal blinked back. Carolers sang. Children laughed. It was almost Christmas. Commissioner Gordon sighed and looked to the mayor and his staff. He pointed at the flashing bat emblem in the sky. Think he'll ever forgive us? The mayor shrugged. Probably not, but he'll always help. Commissioner Gordon hoped so. For the sake of them all, he hoped so. The second scene of chapter 42 is from Gordon's point of view again. And the lights are back on in Gotham City, and the you know, Christmas tree is blinking merrily, and there's carolers and laughing children, and just makes you want to throw up in your mouth. But it's all <laughs> just beautiful Christmas spirit type stuff. And he indicates the flashing bat signal, and he asks the mayor, think he'll ever forgive us? Because if you remember, they had kind of turned on him, thinking that he was the culprit in, you know, the Ice Princess's kidnapping. Yeah, it just yeah. wasn't looking good. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. When I read that, I was thinking <laughs> they were just saying, uh, do you think I'll ever forgive us for putting the signal up on Christmas? Because like, well, it's Christmas, and then they're putting the signal up, and they need his help again. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they totally tried to railroad him into the Ice Princess's murder. So, I mean, yeah, they, they should totally be worried about that. Yeah, and the mayor says, no, probably not. Like, probably he won't forgive them, yep. but he'll always help. And Gordon thinks, like, for all their sakes, he hopes that is true. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know he's worried about it because Batman, according to him, Batman better hang around because GCPD isn't going to do it because <laughs> they are terrible. <laughs> They're not doing anything. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, they've been, they've really not been uh, not been great this book. Nope. I, f- I feel like in the first movie, in the first novelization, they were they were fine. I don't remember anything sticking out. I just remember, and actually, like, they were working with a mass reduction of police force because so many had been out ill, I think, from, like, the poisoning that... um, From the Smilex poisoning. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, maybe a bunch of them retired and were like, you know what? We're not going to deal with this. We don't get paid enough to deal with (laughs) exactly these (laughs) villains, and they just have a bunch of new rookies who don't know what they're doing, so... Epilogue. Alfred had come for him. Battered and wounded, Bruce Wayne sat in the back of the Rolls Royce. He stared out the window for a moment as the car passed the happy families that surrounded the tree in Gotham Plaza. But for all his hurts and all the Christmas joy around him, he really couldn't feel anything. I, he said after a while, I didn't find her. Maybe... Yes, Alfred replied. Maybe. Bruce looked at his butler and his old friend. He knew, really, that Alfred didn't believe that Selina had survived, that he was only being kind to a grieving boss. Bruce had known Alfred too long to be fooled. Still, he appreciated the effort. 
Alfred frowned as revelers blocked the way ahead. He turned down an alley, attempting to take a shortcut from the crowds. Well, Alfred continued, come what may. Merry Christmas, Mr. Wayne. Right, Bruce replied, trying somehow to return the butler's good wishes. Sure, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What was that? He thought he had heard a loud meow. He turned to look out the back window, just in time to see a shadow dart from the street into the alley. He jumped from the still-moving car and disappeared into the alley. He found the jet-black feline hiding amidst the cans. Why, Miss Kitty, he thought, what are you doing out so late? He tucked the cat in his arms and returned to Alfred and the rolls. Bruce shivered as he closed the door behind him. Goodwill towards men, he had said. And women, he added. Alfred drove on in silence. It is late on Christmas Eve, or maybe very early Christmas morning. High above the buildings, projected against the clouds, the signal flashes, a bright yellow oval filled with the dark shape of a bat. It fills all the night sky, and then it is gone. Welcome to Gotham City. The end. So now we're to the epilogue. Alfred has come to get Bruce. Because now his Batsky boat is wrecked and the Batmobile is still not working and Batman himself is wounded. It says that Bruce is sitting battered and wounded in the back of the Rolls Royce. Um, I'm not sure if he's dressed as Bruce. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. And this is this is also very confusing because in the movie, this epilogue happens. It looks like it's days later because bruce is dressed up in a suit and got a coat on he's all cleaned up and everything so Mm -hmm. he doesn't look any worse for the wear so it's like later and then but then as i was reading this book i'm like oh so in the book it's happening like right like alfred's come to pick him up after this whole ordeal and batman's in his wrecked batman uniform and he's got that gushing wound at his neck and he is just ragged out in the back of the rolls hopefully they put some plastic down so he doesn't get any (laughs) blood on the seats or anything (laughs) but uh but yeah so i was like that that was definitely different that i wasn't i didn't even think about was uh that this is alfred picking him up after a mission yeah and despite as it says like despite his wounds and despite all this christmas cheer that's going on around him he doesn't really feel anything and I think that's kind of a, an interesting and accurate look at someone who's just dealt with what he thinks is a, a loss and all this buildup of this uh, animosity with him and Penguin happening for so long and losing Selina. So he's, he's kind of numb and it's nice to see that he's a human being and sometimes his psyche, his emotions take, take a hit from all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he mentions, you know, to Alfred, he says, hey, I, I didn't find her. Maybe. He kind of leaves off the thought, but he's thinking maybe she got away. And mm-hmm. Alfred says, yes, maybe. But Bruce doesn't think that Alfred really believes Selena might be alive. He's just kind of saying it to humor his employer, making him feel better. But she, he appreciates that gesture anyway. When revelers block the street, so I'm thinking it's still the carolers from the same night, Alfred turns down an alley, and I was thinking, no, Alfred, not an alley. (laughs) Not in Gotham City. Stay away from all alleys. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a dead end. He says, well, come what may, Merry Christmas, Mr. Wayne. 
Bruce is like, yeah, right, sure, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then, poor Alfred. Mm-hmm. So he, he just, like, picked up his battered, bleeding boss, who's took a, a bullet wound to the neck that could have easily killed him if it had nicked something, like a big blood vessel in there. I mean, yeah. He could have bled out and, like, passed out in seconds and bled out in a minute. But uh, he hears a meow. And so Bruce jumps out of the still-moving car. And Alfred is probably just thinking, not this again. Not again. <laughs> I just want to get to point A to point B. <laughs> Bruce, am I going to have to turn on the child locks <laughs> in this role? <laughs> <laughs> then, like, Alfred forgets he turned him on. And Bruce is like, Alfred, I can't get out. <laughs> I can't get out. He's in his Batman suit. I can't get out. <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, pounding on the window. <laughs> Let me out. I'm scared of small places. <laughs> it's hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. So, so anyway, he, ju- he gets out of the car that's still moving and he finds a jet black cat hiding among the garbage cans. And he says, why, Miss Kitty? What are you doing out so late? I don't think this is Selena's Miss Kitty, is it? it isn't it just like a random cat? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't because I don't know how he would know it was Miss Kitty. Yeah, it could he... just be any black cab. So I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be Miss Kitty or if it's just he's calling it a random kitty. I, I don't know. Did he even ever meet Miss Kitty? That's what I was trying to think. I don't think so. So he's probably just greeting it as Miss Kitty, just like a generic kitty name. I'm guessing. Yeah. So he tucks the cat in his arms and returns to Alfred and the rolls. And he says, goodwill towards men and women. And Alfred drives home, probably thinking, thank God that's over. (laughs) Now I have a cat to clean up after because Master Bruce won't do it. (laughs) I'm going to have to get kitty litter. (laughs) I'm going to go to the store on Christmas to get kitty litter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Alfred, get the clumping kind. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah i, I kind of like that he uh adopted a cat out of an alley though i don't think he's gonna keep it it never yeah yeah that's the question is he gonna foster the cat and then find a home is he gonna keep it is he gonna just take it in the car and then go to another alley and drop it off at a different alley <laughs> like, i don't know what he's gonna do this alley's better <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a much better alley. You'll like this. It's next to an Italian place. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of see him like taking it in, maybe cleaning it up, and then finding a home for it. Yeah, that would be that's my like thought. Or, or takes it to Arkham. It becomes and, Arkham's cat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we finally did it. That is it. End scene. Take a bow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it was kind of nice going through it at a, a casual pace. Maybe <laughs> casual. not, maybe not quite that slow, but you know, life kept happening, and I did. Yeah, casual is a nice way to put it. We did go through <laughs> casually. A, a darn near cadaver-like pace. <laughs> we did, but I think we covered it pretty well. I think so. We we picked at it in places where it was a little weak, and we had fun. Uh, I, I like I said, I'm really looking forward to doing the commentary episode, which we'll do soon. We won't let six months pass. We'll do it soon. 
try. Yes. Um, yeah, because I, like I said, I haven't seen that. I, man, when did it come out? The one was 89. This is what, probably 91? 90? Like 91 or 92. 92, yeah. So I probably haven't seen it since maybe 95 is the last time I've seen it. Hmm. Yeah, that it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be fun to rewatch. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on the book? Like you said, I I find it to be a very fun adaptation. It it, it adds some extra stuff that uh, I think rounds out the characters a little bit. Like you said, towards the end, it does seem like it kind of skimps on a few of the details, so it does make it kind of confusing on what's actually going on there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was just he was running out of time and just kind of had to finish it up, or if there was not, like maybe he didn't have a full script, and so he didn't really know how things went down, so he just kind of had to muddle through it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I agree, it becomes a little confusing there. But up, up to that point, I mean, it is it is a it's an excellent example of a of a novelization and um adding extra stuff and i really enjoy reading it i've read it several times actually (laughs) yeah it's a lot of fun until we do our commentary episode that is it for now some listeners definitely check out paxton's podcast so we i connected with him when he started following me because it it's the I Read Movies podcast, the podcast all about novels, novelizations, and I thought that is right up my alley, and we just kind <laughs> of, we clicked, and then when I came across, when I decided to do the second novelization, I was like, I, I should ask Paxton to join me for that, so thank you for coming along on this ride. Thank you for having me, Lane. Yeah. Well, that's it for now, listeners. Happy reading. They'll be dreaming away in their, whoa, whoa. I lost my... <laughs> I completely lost what I was reading. Okay. <clears throat> you got to drink a water here. Yeah, I probably will too. Let me get the cat hair out of it first. <laughs> That's the best part, though. <laughs> gives it gives it flavor. Mm-hmm. That little extra something. No, kitty, you can't climb for a bug while I'm trying to record. Go away. <laughs> Go on, silly kitty. Go on. She's a... Just over a year old and still has all that kitten energy. Oh, yeah. Little kitten energy. <laughs> yeah. Kiki! <laughs> well, and she's climbing over my lap at the moment. <laughs> the bug is on the ceiling. You can't climb on me to get it. She's like, oh, but I'm going to try. I'm go. going to make this attempt. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it Max Shrek who manipulated and betrayed you? Um, I think the gist is just he's somehow like um, <laughs> kitty. Hey, kitty. <laughs> that was my kitty. <laughs> kitty, kitty. <laughs> Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Mm-hmm.